When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning and happy St. Bridges Day, 1st of February, January, thankfully behind us. Oh, and the evenings are getting longer, thank heavens. Coming up today, it seemed there was one rule for the very top brass in RTE and a very different rule for the likes of the Midlands correspondent, Kieran Mullooly, when he applied for his redundancy payment. More on that a little bit later. Also, deportation. Is it, in effect, a voluntary system here in Ireland? And what do these latest announcements from the government mean? A shortening of the, or rather an extension of the list of safe countries, Algeria and Botswana being included, and also the chartering of flights back to countries of origin. How is all this going to work and why wasn't it already in place? We'll be exploring some of those points a little bit later. There are a number of free events taking place to mark St. Bridget's Day. We'll tell you what's happening in your area. And a jilted farm labourer who carried out a drive-by shooting outside a pub where his ex-girlfriend had been socialising. This happened here in the Midlands. The details coming up at half past ten. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103 powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Uh, rights experts on the way as well. So get your question in nice and early. Front page. Let's start with the Irish Times. You see a picture of Geoffrey Donaldson, the DUP leader, under a headline, North's political institutions set to return as MPs vote on DUP deal. It's a formality, really, at Westminster today. There will be a debate, but both the British government and the opposition are going to back the deal. The other story on the front of the Irish Times, revenue may investigate RTE exit payments. So it seems the former chief financial officer, in RTE, Breda O'Keefe, received a rather healthy exit package by any standard and it was approved directly by the former Director-General, D. Forbes, rather than going through the Executive Board sign-off that was the official rule. So it seemed there was an unofficial path to get out of the organisation if you could agree a deal with the Director-General. Hmm. And it should be pointed out that we haven't heard from Dee Forbes since this saga erupted last June. She is unavailable for medical reasons. And I don't know about you, but every time I saw her on television, everybody I've talked to about her presence in the organisation, she seemed to be in robust health up to last June. I hope she recovers quickly. That's on the front of the Irish Times. Let's move on to the Irish Examiner. Horror stories of obesity patients treated abroad, in particular in Turkey. Now, there's been quite an offensive by the medical industry here to deter you from going to Turkey. And no doubt there are many, many dodgy clinics and you have to do your homework and you have to make sure you have backup if anything goes wrong. Just keep in the back of your mind, these clinics are undercutting the industry here. And that may be part of the reason for this messaging. 
Moving on to the Irish Independent. Over 55s are warned about a surge in investment fraud. So many people are targeted by scam artists. The preference seems to be if they're going to peddle an investment, and I'm using the old inverted commas and bunny ears here, an investment package, they target it to people who are a bit older, who have the money, and who may not be as internet savvy, if you'll pardon that. So, and the industry group that represents banks says there has been a 26% increase in attempted scams in the last year compared with the year prior. And victims have been conned out of 8.6 million euro collectively. And they have noticed over 55s being especially vulnerable. So there are some pieces of advice and it mainly comes down to doing your homework, as you should do with any investment ultimately. But if somebody is peddling something that seems too good to be true, well, that's a red flag to begin with. And even if you go online to check for reviews, that in itself mightn't be enough. They're very sophisticated, setting up false websites, false endorsements. Do you stick to the tried and the tested? The Irish Daily Mail on its front page, RTE HR boss issued letter approving Chief Financial Officer's exit package and did so on instruction from the then Director General, D. Forbes, who apparently falsely suggested the executive board had signed off on the deal when, in fact, they didn't. D. Forbes pictured on the front of the Irish Daily Mirror as well. D. Buck stops here, it says. Really, she is the only person who can answer so many of the questions that remain a mystery. Let's go inside the papers and see what may be of interest. There's more detail on the government's plan to charter flights to deportate uh, migrants to deport migrants, I should say, who have been unsuccessful in their asylum applications. The Irish Independent says planes carrying between 20 and 30 people will be chartered for each journey if there are dangerous individuals who should be accompanied by Gorthi, the government will charter smaller planes for this. And the contract has been not formally tendered yet. They are taking soundings from the aviation market to see what the availability of planes and the interest in bidding for the contract would be. So there's still a lot of ground to cover. But what is interesting, and it's not just Helen McEntee, but also Fiona Falls, Jim O'Callaghan, there seems to be an admission that the deportation system in this country is effectively voluntary. And it is something Padder Tobin of Aintu has been banging the drum about for some months at this stage. Irish Independent, if you want to read more. If you're thinking of building a house or building an extension or indeed investing in business construction, a little bit of good news. Inflation has fallen below 4% for 2023. So that is sharply down on the 11.5% rate of inflation in 2022. The problem now isn't so much in building materials. Many of the supply chains have fixed themselves. It's in the supply of labour, finding the workers who have the skills for these projects. And no doubt the recruitment agencies are very busy looking overseas. 
but we have one of the finest, if not the finest, training facility for the construction sector here in the Midlands in Mount Lucas, the National Construction Training Centre. And they are very busy at the moment. But there are always opportunities. And again, you can see them at the forthcoming Midlands 103 Green Home and Energy Show in February, later this month, in the Tullamore Court Hotel. So, if you're curious about reskilling, upskilling, changing career, have a chat with them there. The majority of Irish households are not using their smart meter to get the best deal. So says an article by Caroline O'Doherty in the Irish Independent this morning. So there are 1.6 million homes that have a smart meter, but just over 150,000, fewer than 1 in 10, have moved to a smart tariff. Now, there are some people who don't want a meter installed. Let's not even factor that in here. These are people who already have the meter and just haven't switched. And the sales pitch for the smart meter is that you can look at your time of use and you can say, well, you know, I put on the dishwasher and the washing machine and all of those energy-intensive appliances, let's say, at 10 o'clock at night or at 7 o'clock in the morning or whatever time it is. And then you can go online and figure out what is the best energy plan for me? And you can try and find one that has the lowest rate when you are busiest. Now, invariably, the dearest rates are in the evening. That's when peak demand comes on and part of the need is to shift your habits a bit. But if you can do that, the smart plans offer a chance to save. For instance, if you have an electric vehicle, there are tariffs that allow you to charge in the middle of the night when there is an excess of electricity on the grid and they are willing to sell it for, in some cases, 8 or 9 cent per unit, compared with nearly 40% daytime. Now, Irish Sun shows Josef Pushka, a man I think we'd rather hear the back of and not see again, but it reports how he is moping on a landing with two other killers in the Midlands prison in Portlaoise, E2 landing, and to one side is Graham Dwyer. He murdered Elaine O'Hara in 2012, and a man by the name of Mark Nash is on the other side. He killed four people over a four-month period in 1997. So that is the company that Josef Pushka is keeping in Portlaoise. That's in the Irish Sun today. Expect to see farmers hold rallies in solidarity with their European counterparts, but perhaps not as disruptive as the farmers in Paris, where blockades around the city have brought traffic to a crawl. And they're unhappy, as farmers are here, with rising costs, with some of the blame the industry is taking for carbon emissions, with fuel prices... I think the complaints are not just Irish, the complaints are nearly global at this stage. So the Irish Farmers Association, new shiny president, Francie Gorman, tells the journal.ie they are just as frustrated by what is happening as farmers in other countries. They feel they are being regulated out of business by Brussels bureaucrats and Department of Agriculture officials who are far removed from the reality of day-to-day farming. So this evening, through the IFA's local branches across the Midlands, rallies will be held 
to show solidarity with farmers in other member states. So watch out for that. Facebook is celebrating its 20th birthday and Mark Zuckerberg is celebrating God knows how many billions of euro that he has made in the years since. It has outlasted many predictions. Do you remember Bebo? Bebo is something that we played with maybe 20 years ago and it died a very hasty death. Facebook, or the Facebook as it was first known, has stood the test of time, bought up Instagram, invested hugely in virtual reality and the metaverse and is all guns blazing for the next 20 years. And Mr Zuckerberg is still at the helm. There's an article in the Irish Times looking at its history, if you're curious. Anyway, final story for you. What did you have for breakfast? One in five people eat the exact same breakfast every day and have done so for the last five years. So says a survey by Allpro, which finds toast to be the most common choice as first meal of the day, followed in second place by cereal and then by porridge. Didn't the Roman armies conquer on porridge? And more than four out of ten say the reason they have the same breakfast every day is because it's part of routine. In effect, they're on autopilot and don't know what else to have. Is it a little boring having the same breakfast every day? I think probably those in sports nutrition and in uh, dietitians they will say that consistency, if it's a good breakfast, and certainly something like porridge would give you a very good base for the day, complex carbs breaking down slowly. Why change if you're on the right path? What do you have for breakfast? Kieran Mullooly, the former RTE Midlands correspondent, has taken to Twitter, or X as it's now known, saying, I am absolutely shocked with the revelation from RTE that Breda O'Keefe, this is the former chief financial officer, that her voluntary redundancy application was never brought before the RTE executive. In my own case, I had to wait over two months for the executive to even consider my application to leave. Even then, my severance was strictly based on the cap placed on it by finance, in other words, two years' salary maximum, while others walked away with much, much more. I was also fully taxed on it. Revenue must now investigate this scandalous breach of rules by the management of the time. You'll hear from Kieran Maluli a little bit later. Midlands Today with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103. Now, the newspapers over the last few days have had story after story after story no doubt coming out from government in response to opinion polls showing that immigration is a major issue of concern for voters at the moment. Stories have included, for instance, Algeria and Botswana being added to the list of safe countries. We'll explain in a moment what a safe country is. Also, flights to be chartered to return people to their country of origin if they have been unsuccessful in their asylum application. So let's analyse what this means. Aoife Masterson is a Sinn Féin candidate in the forthcoming local elections for Offaly County Council. But the bigger reason we invited you to speak on this is you have a background as a law lecturer. Uh, you worked in the NGO sector, so you have experience 
interacting with people who were uh, trying to be part of the asylum system. Good morning, first of all. Good morning, Will, and good morning to you and your listeners, and thanks for having me on this morning. Maybe just flesh out your background a little bit. How would you have come into contact with people who were part of the process? Yeah, well, so my background is that, like you said, I used to work as a lecturer in law, but also I used to work in the NGO sector. Um, So I worked for FLAC, the Free Legal Advice Centres, but also for Crosscare um, with their homeless uh, services. And one of the issues that people come in with time and again is people whose applications have been refused and who are experiencing homelessness and are having difficulty because they're having difficulty returning to their country of origin. And they obviously, as their application has been refused, can't avail of any services within the state. So what's happening is that people are finding themselves in a situation where they can't work because they don't have any right to. Um, but also they're not in a position to uh, return to their country. So really people are uh, then facing grave difficulty and this is putting wider stress on the communities that they're in um, but also on the services. Uh, So really my experience of it is that this is a failing of the system and what we really need to develop is fair, efficient and enforced immigration system. Yeah, Uh, because what you describe there, people who have been refused asylum, still being in the country, it backs up something that Padre Tobin had said of Aintu some time ago, that it was effectively a voluntary deportation system. Has it always been this way? Well, no. What's happened is there's been no... I suppose, increase in funding to the um, immigration system. And what's happened is that uh, we have larger numbers uh, than we did in previous years. And that means that obviously there are numbers who are being refused. And what's happening is that there simply aren't the resources in place to deal with the applications to process them swiftly and effectively, first of all. And second of all, when those processes are complete and someone's uh, application has been refused, the systems aren't in place to effectively and efficiently return them to their country of origin. And we're, a, you know, we're in favour of a system that's properly funded and regulated. And really, it's what the people uh, who are refused to deserve, but it's also what the communities um, locally deserve as well, that if a decision has been made, then it's important that that, that decision is given effect to. The story in the Irish Independent today about chartering flights gives the impression that the idea is in its infancy. They're taking soundings from the aviation market as to how much interest there would be in bidding for a contract. So that's obviously going to take time before it matures. But would that be typical of how it works in other countries, that the state would fund the home flight for somebody who's refused asylum? So I suppose what we have to consider really is a balancing of the issues. So there is obviously a cost associated with returning someone. But the other wider issue is what are the costs associated with not returning someone? And I think we're all familiar with the costs of not returning someone. We've seen how the current system at the moment is working and how an underfunding of the system has resulted in difficulties. So really there's the cost associated with returning someone but there's the wider issues and Sinn Féin are very much in favour of a a fair and effective and enforced immigration system and unfortunately that's not what the government has provided at the moment and that is causing real distress to the individuals who are refused and to the communities who see 
that people are being refused and still not having a way to return safely to their communities. Can we talk about the process of seeking asylum and the concept of safe countries? What are safe countries? think safe countries, there's an awful lot of confusion around it. And there's been absolutely abysmal um, messaging from government, to be perfectly honest on this. A safe country does not mean that someone is automatically deemed to be uh, accepted here. What it means is, in fact, very much the opposite. It means that there's assumptions that the country of origin, the country that they're coming from, is generally safe for its citizens to live in. So that would mean the same as an assumption if someone was applying, um, an Irish citizen was applying elsewhere. There's an underlying assumption that the country that you're living in is safe. Now, what it does mean is that, like any other country, that the individual can rebut that uh, presumption based on their individual circumstances. Mm. But the, bur- the burden of proof will be higher, I presume, that they will have to demonstrate that they are somehow unsafe in what is otherwise considered a safe country. Well, it's not that the burden of proof would be raised. It's that the onus would be on them. So the, all the documentation and all the uh, supporting evidence would have to um, rebut the presumption. So it's not a higher burden. It's just that it's entirely on the individual to rebut it. And then if they're coming from uh, an unsafe country, is it generally a given that asylum will be granted? It's not a given that asylum will be granted, but it is uh, a looking at the wider circumstances that would generally apply to someone in those circumstances. So it's slightly different. What the government have done in the last few days is add two countries to the safe list. So this means that there's two more countries where it's now on the individual to rebut that presumption. So it's a changing from the general position that was in place with those countries previously. Algeria and Botswana in this case. Um, That adds to the list of Albania, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Georgia, Kosovo, Macedonia, Montenegro, Serbia and South Africa. Would you consider that list now to be sufficiently comprehensive? I suppose, to be honest, I wouldn't have the information to hand to make that assumption. There is vast um, research and information that would go into that. And these are decisions that should be made over time and with a full consideration of all the issues. But what is clear is that the government's current approach is not working. It's clear that communities are extremely frustrated with the lack of communication, but also that the individuals whose applications are being refused are frustrated because they are arriving here under the assumption that their application will be considered in a swift and efficient manner and that if it isn't, that there will be an opportunity for them to return to their country of origin. So it's quite clear that something needs to change with the current government system, the funding and the communication on that system. So when you're knocking on doors and this issue is coming up and it's coming up a lot, I believe, for all candidates, how do you answer how Sinn Féin would change it? And I accept, by the way, you're just going for council elections and it'll be outside of your sphere of influence. But the party's position? I mean, the party's position is quite clear. We believe in fair, efficient and enforced immigration system. We believe... What does that mean? You've used that term a few times. Yeah, so what we mean is that someone has their application considered in an efficient manner. So at the moment, applications can take years. We're all familiar with the direct provision system and the shortcomings in it. We're essentially warehousing people in a system that isn't fit for purpose. Um, So what we believe is that decisions should be made 
effectively and in an efficient time manner. And that begins with resourcing the system. At the moment, the, everyone knows that the system itself is underfunded. There isn't the money being put into it. So Sinn Féin would finance the system and that asylum applications would be, um, I suppose, like I said, made um, enforced. So at the moment, again, the shortcomings and fundings in the system mean that applications are not being enforced. Or Sorry, decisions of applications are yeah. not being enforced. So tell us more about how this is coming up on the doorsteps. Is it the issue? Is housing still very much in the mix? What's your impression? Well, the recent uh, uh, polling shows that immigration is, for the first time, the number one issue. But my experience is that the issues are actually really closely intertwined. People's frustration is more with the fact that there's a lack of services and their concerns are with what impact these applications are going to have on services. So I just got an email last night from a lady who is based in the Midlands and who's been waiting over four weeks for a dental appointment. And that's not uncommon. What I'm hearing on the doors is that people aren't even going to the doctor because the doctors are so under pressure at the moment that they're actually not able to see someone for over a week. And what people are concerned about is if there's already this strain on the system, then how much impact is more people coming in to a rural community that isn't invested in already going to have on their services. And services are quite frankly already at the brink. Would you go so far as to say Ireland is full? I would not. No, I think what the decision is that Ireland is grossly underfunded and mismanaged by our current government. What has happened is that there's been a severe lack of investment in our communities, particularly in our rural communities, where people already are facing a long waiting list for basic services. People deserve to have the service they need when they need it and the place that they need it. And what's happening is that that's not the case in rural Ireland as it is. Eva Masterson, Sinn Féin candidate for Offaly County Council. Thank you very much for joining us. The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. John in Guilfoyle was listening to the story about aeroplanes being chartered as part of the deportation system. And he's wondering, are there no Air Corps planes available for that purpose? Maybe there isn't, he says, but surely it would be more economical? It's a good question, John. I'm not sure, and we shall ask. And on one other matter, a caller is asking, how does the rent-a-room scheme work? Do you have to go through a solicitor? Well, you have the option, of course, to get legal advice, but you don't have to. And when it comes to the Residential Tenancies Board, when you're renting a room, a lease isn't required. It is required if you're leasing a house, but not a room. You might be wise to draw up some form of of agreement, however. Um, And when it comes to declaring the tax, there is an exemption of up to €14,000 for the rent-a-room scheme. And you can do that through the My Account service on the Revenue website. So I hope that's of some use to you. There are many listeners around North Offaly, parts of Westmeath and Meath, who over the last couple of nights have been wondering, are the UFOs coming? The reason for that is a light show taking place on the Hill of Allen to Mark St. Bridget. And it's a very impressive light show, but just 
whatever way the cloud and the mist was, it created quite an effect for miles and miles around. Let's find out what else is happening to mark St. Bridget's Day. Noni Bracken is a member of the Port Art Collective. Morning, Noni. Good morning, Will. Tell us what you're up to. Oh, well, today we have a very exciting event happening in Port Arlington. It's starting at four o'clock. We have um, members of the Port Art Collective um, exhibiting and they're going to be doing some um, workshops as well and demonstrations. Uh, We have Anne Egan, who's an expert on Bridget herself, and she's a wonderful poet. We have ballet, we have um, an amazing fire show to finish off the event, and also Enda Wiley, who's another poet, is offering 10-minute poetry SOS sessions. Um, You've put a lot of work um, into preparing all of this. Why has Bridget captured your imagination? Um, we were pro last year. We um, ran a green hub event for um, Leash County Council, and as part of that, we had a gathering um, to welcome Bridget into. In you do it Bridget's Eve, you put out your brat breeders, hmm. and it welcomes Bridget. Um, and uh, it it kind of inspired, I suppose, this um, this event today. Uh, the gathering happened last night, but then. Today we're um, we decided to go all out and um, have a, an event um, in conjunction with um, Leash County Council. Moran um, McConnell um, approached us and put faith in us to put on this event today through um, Pop Events, which is five public arts events taking place. Yes, and I Around gather the they're also happening, well, anybody who wants to get in the car and travel, that is, in Tralee, in Castlereagh, in Cork, or indeed in Tip Town. So Port Arlington, I think, will be the closest for many. Well, they're actually happening at different time, different spread out over the year. So ours is the first. We're having the first event and the other events will all be, um, they're, they're circus events. There, so they're, they're actually not Bridget related. Our one is the, the, the Bridget Day one. And I believe as well your local Ukrainian choir shall perform. They will. They're absolutely beautiful. You'll you'll have tears in your eyes after here. They're absolutely amazing. Um, And they will be be singing. We'll also have Laura Murphy, um, who was featured on RT's show Celebrating Bridget last year. And she will be performing alongside Broken Theatre, who are this fantastic fire um, fire performers so it'll be pretty spectacular end to the to the day the Manaw Collective are also coming down they'll be doing live street art and they're f- fantastic no, no need. I'm sold I'm sold it sounds like a wonderful sold, assault on great. the senses <laughs> audio and visual and much more besides and it's happening well, pop down Market Square down. Port Arlington Market 4 Square, to 8 4 to 8 yeah get there and uh, get yourself a nice spot and We'll keep you warm with some nice coffees and there's a van, a burrito van and everything. So, you know. Enjoy, Noni. Thanks very much for we taking will, our call. We will and thanks for, take, thanks for having us. Noni Bracken from the Port Art Collective. Back to your texts and your WhatsApps. Pam in Kilbegan 
as she listens, she is making the St. Bridget's Dolls for family and friends. I haven't seen Bridget's Dolls before. That's clever. I like that. And she sent a lovely WhatsApp image. From another caller, Will, Sinn Féin has lost credibility with the Irish people and are going to have a wake-up call having come late to this issue. Ireland is full, says this caller, and people have had enough, not only of the government, but they have opened their eyes to Sinn Féin as well. I have voted Sinn Féin for years. I will now turn my attention to the Farmers' Alliance and the Irish Freedom Party. That being a text from Mark. Now, uh, the UN has said an estimated 70 million people around the world are on the move. Possibly a lot more, says John. Can any member of the Dáil say what Ireland's capacity is? So if there are 70 million people around the world on the move, how many can we take before services and accommodation is exhausted? Interesting question. Anyway, still on the agenda today. David Digan, who you may remember appeared on this programme last October. He had an arm and a hand amputated following a motorcycle crash. But when it came to exploring VAT relief and VRT relief under the Disabled Driver Scheme, he was told effectively he's not disabled enough. Well, his uh, story has been raised in the Dáil, and you'll hear what the outcome of that was. Also, how a jilted farm labourer carried out a drive-by shooting using a double-barrel shotgun outside a Midlands pub where his ex-girlfriend had been socialising. Love the Midlands? Love. Midlands now, still on the agenda today how a 21-year-old West Meath man carried out, in effect, a drive-by shooting at a pub where his ex-girlfriend had been socialising and has walked free from court. That story from half past ten this morning. Your rights experts shall be here at half past eleven. Got a question about your entitlements, how to apply for something how to sort out a dispute without a shotgun, then 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp. Send your question to me. And as well, how farmers in Ireland, and here in the Midlands specifically, shall be protesting in solidarity with their European neighbours. What form will this rally take? The president of the IFA, I hope, will be here after 11. An independent review has found the exit package for RTE's former chief financial officer was not approved by the executive board, as was the procedure. The report by McCann Fitzgerald's solicitors looked into the voluntary exit schemes operated by RTE in 2017 and 2022, and it found former CFO Breda O'Keefe, upon her departure, did not have a package approved by the executive board, but rather by the then director general directly. Former RTE Midlands correspondent Kieran Malouli has told our Sinead Hubble that if RTE wants to restore public confidence, 
they're going to have to ensure things like this never happen again. Well, I left the RT um, employment in 2021 under the 2021 scheme, which came up at that stage. And I can tell you that the circumstances and the conditions in that scheme were very different to what went in the scheme as published by McCann's yesterday. T21 was a very clear process whereby you have to apply to the of RT and make the case uh, why you wanted to leave. In my case, I did six years of working with the organisation. I'd just come out of probably the toughest time of all, COVID. And uh, I had to wait uh, while that was and, and due process was allowed. Um, and we learned uh, from the McCann uh, study yesterday that you know everything there were no irregularities as a result in the 2021 scheme. But that's in, in, in severe contrast to what happened, obviously, in 20. 2017 in the program uh, where, where the former CFO Brito Keefe was involved. I mean, it's quite extraordinary to people like me uh, that some sort of an arrangement or a business plan could have been even suggested uh, by Brito Keefe, uh, according to McCann's, uh, that uh, a successor could be found in-house in RT and save the organisation €200,000. Therefore, that was the reason she would be given the, the voluntary redundancy package. I mean, it's just bizarre that any organisation of the size of RTE would, would even uh, countenance the situation whereby a, an internal arrangement would be, would be proposed as part of a deal to get somebody a voluntary redundancy. It's extraordinary. It speaks uh, highly of, of, of what was going on in RT in terms of the incompetence at the time, uh, particularly in the, in the higher parts of the organisations. And there are many more, many more questions that need to be answered after this revelation. And in your own case, Kieran, how long were you waiting for your application to be approved? I think the answer is weeks and weeks. Uh, there was a deadline created, but we had to wait. I, I waited, I think, the best part of uh, four to six weeks uh, for information. And, you're, you know, your life is, is on hold when this is going on. But I can understand RT had to, at that, at that time, go through the process and, and work on what was going on. And effectively, my position had to be suppressed, which it was. My job was, was, was left vacant in RT and, 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 and wasn't filled for over a year. And at that time, a case had to be made by RT for, for bringing it back in terms of the reduction of staff numbers in the organisation in the intervening period. You remember a lot of people left, uh, retired, their jobs were never filled either in, in the same period. Uh, so it was very clear to me that the, you know, the Midlands Correspondence job was going um, at that time, and that was the only way they could, they could uh, uh, facilitate my uh, application for retirement. But in the case of Brito, Keith, we had in going back to the 2017 report, we had a very, very different scenario, uh, where it was very obvious that, that the CFO, the, sense, the, the, the key chief financial officer of the organisation, could not be left redundant for any period of time. And uh, indeed, it became even more bizarre when we, it, it later, obviously, it, the position was filled from outside, and we had a situation in RT where two CFOs were on site. Uh, Brito Keith was, was involved in, I suppose, a betting in process with the, with the next CFO, uh, so there was no saving. In fact, there was additional costs on the organisation to employ one CFO and take in a second one at the same time for, for, the, for the recruitment and the adoption process. It's just bizarre. It speaks, as I say, very, very poorly of what was going on in RT at the time. And the licence fair, people who are paying the licences still will, will be asking, how could this happen? How could somebody come in internally and make a, make a recommendation like this or propose like this? And how could it be signed off without the executive, the key people in the RT in the organisation, actually deciding on. We know now that they didn't. They, they, we know from the can report that only one person signed off and that was the Director General. And when it came to your own severance package, there was strict rules around that. That's right. I mean, it, it, there's no mystery. And again, you know, from time to time, people, particularly on social media, might have a call with people like me and say, like, leave me with a big 
uh, a, a golden iron, a golden deal or something from RT. There's no mystery about what people in the 2021 deal got. It's very, very simple. In, in that situation, it was restricted. It became very restricted at that time to a two-year salary maxed out at €200,000. That was in a Department of Finance circular at the time. Uh, it was actually it printed. It, and we were told very clearly when they had 10 years or, 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 or 26 years service, in my case, you were getting two years salary max. That was it. Um, and uh, it was very, very clear. And uh, obviously, that was not the max which applied in, in the, in the Brito O'Keefe situation. We're going to learn uh, eventually, I presume, how much it was actually paid. Uh, but it, it, again, it's max. it just indicates how bad things were in the RT management at the time, how irregular the situation was. McCann's pointed out that very clearly in the report. And um, I think, uh, you know, it, it, even though it's over, and Kevin Backer tells us yesterday that it won't happen again, uh, we still need to find answers to these questions. I do hope that D Forbes will be in a position in the future to come back. Uh, the, some people feel that she's been blamed for everything that happened in the organisation. The only way she, this can be cleared up is if she goes public coming on, on Midlands Radio 3 or whatever station she wants to come on and tell her own story. Because if what happened in the case of Breed O'Keefe does not reflect well on her management of the organisation. And, and uh, people are quite rightly uh, yet again annoyed by the way RT is handling public money. And how did you feel when you heard this news? I was, I was quite, it, this emerged, I suppose, initially there was a, there was a hint of this back at the, uh, the Iraq this year in last summer. And this was touched on, Adrian Lynch, the former Assistant Director General, uh, said at the time he wasn't aware of Breed O'Keefe's uh, exit package. And I was uh, stunned that day. Uh, but, you know, I suppose I thought like many people, people that, you know, there may have been a smaller number of people involved. She was a very senior part, member of the organization. But now it turns out there was nobody involved. In, in reviewing the deal to put in front of her. When I applied for redundancy, eight people uh, adjudicated on it and, and, and looked at it in 2021. When she applied between 2017 and 2021, only one person, according to McCann, reviewed it. And uh, the deal was arranged. And again, the deal was arranged as the backdrop of this shady proposal, as far as I'm concerned, a shady proposal that somehow there'd be a business deal uh, for not um, uh, for, for, for appointing somebody else and, sa- and saving the money. You know, to be to be... Extraordinary things were going on, and that's why I was annoyed uh, at, in, in summer when I heard of it. I was frustrated and very angry yesterday when I, it was confirmed by McCann's that there was no uh, way that anything could be done in terms of... Uh, uh, the, you know, McCann's made it clear that there was no arrangement, there was no other, no other deal uh, apart from uh, one person signing off on it. It's just extraordinary that one person would sign off on it uh, in, in, those, in those circumstances. It's very poor management. I do hope it's going to change. If RT are going to restore confidence, they're going to have to ensure things like this never happen again. And Kevin Backhurst has his hands full uh, if, he, if he's going to sit down this morning and try and reassure people. Uh, he needs to show structures. He needs to show new arrangements. He needs to show clear uh, transparency and uh, if confidence is going to be restored. Otherwise, you know, I, I can see quite clearly why people are not paying their license fees. They need to be reassured um, that things are changing. I think Kevin Backhurst is capable of making those changes, but he needs to move quickly now to shore up where the confidence has been lost. The taxpayer has already paid for, for this deal, for the investigation into the report. Who's going to pay now? Well, <laughs> precisely. I mean, the, the, the wider uh, system of, of uh, uh, RTE uh, compensating for, 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 the, for, for tax issues is, is just unthinkable. Uh, to me, if, 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 if a person has 
uh, questions to answer then the revenue are, 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 must take up that question not just with RT but with the person involved and themselves as well I think it has to be a, an, an investigation has to take place in terms of funding because at the end of the day no more than RT's long term future it'll all come back to the to the public purse it'll, be, it'll come back to the, the government or the licence payer or whatever fee or whatever arrangement is coming in the future trying to show up for these issues and they should not have to show up for these issues under no circumstances should members of the public be expected to pay out for this sort of incompetency and this sort of irregularity in RTE. McCann's made it very clear what went on was wrong. It was a breach of the rules in the 2017 volunteer Dunsey package. Uh, they feel uh, it was irregular, it was it was poor management, and uh, I, I cannot see at the end of the day why the licence payer or the public should have to pay for this. And going forward, RTE has to ensure that issues like this are, are, are resolved, are, are made very, very clear in terms of future funding. Because, you know, whatever happens in the future, we are going to see a situation where or to you will be looking for the public purse to keep the, the shows on here. And we need to keep the shows on here. I've said this before. I'm not bashing RTE. We, you know, we need programs like RTE Investigates. Uh, we need all those high-quality RTE radio documentaries. We need the high-quality sports coverage. We need the drama. We need them. But we need also a system of confidence uh, um, put back in place and reassurances from the present management that went on, what went on in this charade back in 2017 to 2019 uh, uh, it's, not, it's not allowed to happen again, and it's going to take a lot of hard work by Kevin Backhurst to do that, but I think he's capable of doing it. Former RTE Midlands correspondent Kieran Malouli. 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp for your comment and your questions. If you're still scratching your head as a result of what is the never ending story at RTE. Next, the West Maze man who lost an arm in a motorcycle crash and was told he's not disabled enough for the disabled driver's scheme. His case is raised in the Doyle. Details next. Disagree? Feel free. Text or WhatsApp Midlands today yeah. on 083 103. Midlands 103. You may remember the case of David Digan from Moat. He appeared on this programme last October describing how he had an arm and a hand amputated following a motorcycle crash. And he applied for a primary medical cert, which allows disabled drivers or passengers to avail of tax relief when buying a car. However, in effect, he was told he's not disabled enough. Under the criteria, you have to have lost both hands or both arms And he's been campaigning for a change to the scheme. So this week, his case was brought to the attention of the Taoiseach in the Dáil by Leash Offaly Independent TD, Carol Nolan. Despite a number of attempts in applying for a medical certificate, a primary medical certificate, he's been denied it. And this is absurd. And, you know, it's not right or acceptable that a man with such a disability, a lifelong disability is being denied a primary medical certificate. David has spoken widely in local media about how the refusal of a primary medical certificate has forced him to the brink of poverty. Taoiseach, I'm appealing with you here today to do what you can around the whole eligibility criteria. The re-establishment of the Board of Appeal was a welcome and positive move, but all of that work has been undermined because of the way in which the eligibility criteria for a primary medical certificate is being applied. It's being applied with bureaucratic zeal 
that is contrary to our obligations around the rights of the disabled person. I think we can all agree in the House that we need to do uh, all that we can to ensure that uh, people with disabilities have independence and have freedom uh, and can um, take up employment, uh, can use a car, can travel, can do all the things that uh, we need to do and, and they need to do. Um, in terms of private medical cert, I, I don't have an up-to-date note on that with me, Deputy, but I will um, get you more information as soon as I can. Uh, I know the Minister of Finance is seized of the matter, has appointed new board members, as you mentioned, uh, and is trying to get through uh, the backlog uh, of cases that need to be considered. Um, and, uh, of course, we can review the criteria uh, to see if we can include more people. It's never, never an easy thing to do, because no matter where, where you put the criteria or what the rules are, there will always be people who um, don't qualify, uh, no matter what uh, scheme you set up. Um, but I take your point that uh, in some cases the rules are too strict and too harsh and perhaps they're being enforced too strictly. Uh, and I'll certainly discuss that with Mr McGrath. Taoiseach, I thank you uh, very much for, for your comments and indeed your commitment to pursue the issue further. I just want to add that you know, we're talking about 1,000 applicants here and even if that number were to increase slightly, it wouldn't put the state under undue pressure. I believe that it's something that we can do, it's something that is achievable, and it's something that we must do in terms of ensuring that this state has credibility for supporting and upholding the rights of people with disability. I also want to ask Taoiseach if you would also take on board that there may also be an option. It's my understanding that the Minister could bring forward a statutory instrument and that that would resolve this matter. Again, I want to stress that we're talking about small numbers here, and I believe that there is an onus on us now to deliver for those people. There's a thousand now, and even as I said, if it increased slightly, these people have been, I feel, unfairly treated, and, and they need their primary medical certificates, and it's only fair that they get them. Gareth Mockett. Thank you. Taoiseach. Thanks, um, thanks, Deputy. And I've come across one or two uh, not dissimilar cases in my constituency too, and um, you can have my assurance that I will follow up on this. Uh, Minister McGrath is in Brussels uh, today, but um, I'll see him during the week, and, uh, and uh, we'll try and make some changes to make things better. So, that is the Taoiseach Leo Radcar responding to Deputy Carol Nolan in the Dáil earlier this week. And let's say good morning to David Dagan. I hope you're keeping well, David. Well, enjoy the programme. I was wondering if listeners ever heard of the expression rabbits, rabbits, rabbits on the first of each month. According to my mother, it brought her luck and to those who would say it. That's from Jim in Portlaoise. I also heard of a pinch and a punch for the first of the month. And many people believe in that as well, Jim. Good morning. Will, is Kieran Malouli only realising now how rotten RTE is? And another caller says, I thought redundancy was only paid to people whose jobs were finished. Is there not a new Midlands correspondent in RTE now? In which case, why did Kieran Malouli receive a redundancy package? So you're right in a compulsory redundancy situation. Sometimes companies and organisations offer voluntary redundancy schemes. The terms are usually a bit better if they want to reduce their headcount. And so it will tempt people who might ultimately be replaced, but somewhere else in the chain there will be somebody not replaced. 
But you're right, it is, um, in Kira Maluli's case, an example of where the position still exists. And as another listener points out, if you are in the private sector, statutory redundancy is two weeks' pay per year of service plus a week, and it is capped at around €600 Euro per week. So after 26 years, you would not be leaving with two years' salary, nor anywhere close. So even the deal that Kira Maluli received would be generous by compulsory standards, is the point made here. However, it was less generous, it would appear, than what the chief financial officer in RTE received, and also it was, in the case of Breda O'Keefe, not approved by the executive board, but a deal done exclusively with the then director-general and D. Forbes, as you know, is not talking, apparently for medical reasons. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Now, if you want to check any of these details at any time, just go to midlands103.com, click on the Community Diary, and if we're missing something that's happening in your area, please pick up the phone, tell us all about it on 0818 300 103. We'll start with the Samaritans Recruitment Week, which runs from the 12th to 15th of February in Leash and Kildare. So if you want to become a listening volunteer, they'll give you full training, mentoring and support. And you can check out Samaritans Ireland on Facebook for location details. Anam Kara supports parents after bereavement and they hold their next Midlands meeting at the Mullingar Park Hotel on Wednesday, February 14th, 7.15pm. They welcome any bereaved parent, regardless of the age of the child or the circumstances of the loss. You don't have to register, just arrive on the evening. Or in the meantime, check out animcara.ie. Creative Writing Workshops for Children will be held on Sundays from the 4th of February through to uh, a six-week period, happening Sunday afternoons 2 to 4 at number 4 Bastion Street, Athlone, for children aged 8 to 12 years, and the cost is €90. If you'd like details, talk to Niamh on 086 362 3971 or check out Creative Writing for Children Athlone on Facebook. And Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary will hold Hen Rescue Runs at various locations on the 3rd of February. Full list can be found on the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary Facebook page. Adoption fees apply, so check out the Department of Agriculture website for current regulations. The Community Diary is online at midlands103.com so make sure to check it out at any stage. The Community Diary with thanks to Tormy Solicitors experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie Love the Midlands? Love Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103 If you've ever been in a relationship you know the risks. Sometimes they don't work out and feelings can be bruised. However, uh, they seldom end as this next one did, and you're about to hear how a 21-year-old man from County Westmeath ended up in court. Um, 
Now, let's get the detail from Liam Cosgrove. He's our courts reporter watching this one. Good morning, Liam. Good morning, Will. The matter came before Longford Circuit Criminal Court yesterday involving 21-year-old Jason Murray of Barradrum Street in County Westmeath. Why was he there? Well, Will, um, Mr Murray came before the court yesterday in relation to um, an incident that took place on February the 10th last year at a public house uh, known as the Glenview Lounge in Cliff in North County Longford. Um, it basically surrounded an, uh, an incident that unfolded that evening in which Mr Murray had been in contact with the uh, his ex-girlfriend's sister's partner. Uh, they had been communicating on Snapchat and he had been looking to meet him or as it came out in court, confront him he insisted that there was going to be no fight involved, no physical uh, altercation. Um, now, uh, during the course of that evening, uh, Mr. Murray had uh, been in the company of three other friends, uh, and they had been driving around, driving around the North Longford area. And they stopped off in one of Mr. Mr. Murray's friend's house, uh, who uh, his friend uh, removed a number of cartridges from his father's gun safe and uh, handed it over to Mr. Murray. They continued on and stopped off in a woods uh, where Mr. Murray is alleged to have uh, exited the vehicle and fired a shot uh, before the group uh, carried on uh, carried on driving around. Now, in the midst of all this, um, Mr. Murray's ex-girlfriend, her new boyfriend, her sister and his partner decided to um, Travel to the Glenview Lounge in Ockham from their home in Down the League, which is also in North Longford. Uh, and as they were exiting the house, in, um, in the, they, they claimed to have uh, spotted Mr. Mr. Murray driving past the house slowly. With mm. um, and anyway, they continued on to to the, to the Glenview Lounge. Um, and a, a period of time later, then. Uh, uh, the Mr. Murray's uh, ex-girlfriend's ex-girlfriend's sister was at the door of the Glenview, uh, speaking to a man who was having a cigarette, and she spotted Mr. Murray sitting in his silver A4 car a few yards away. She went over to the car and approached him, basically asked what he was doing there, mm. and this being the second time it. in the night that they had spotted. That's him. right. Yeah, that's right, and noticed the. Uh, high-vis jacket uh, that he was moving from to the passenger side of the car. So she asked him, what exactly was he, was he doing? Uh, and at that stage, then she spotted a double-barreled shotgun underneath that. And mm. his response to that was, don't worry, it's not loaded. So while that exchange was going on, then his actual ex-girlfriend then came out of the bar, obviously to see where, his, where her sister was, and noticed that the two of them were in conversation. And she came over to the car then and opened the door, and uh, it was it, it came out in court then at that stage. That's where Mr. Murray received a slap to the face. Um, now the, the 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 director of public prosecutions counsel Shane Garrity said that Mr. Murray had become enraged by that and drove off in a in a temper um, a few hundred yards down the road, uh, and it was at that stage then he. 
instructed his friends to swap seats. Uh, so his friend drove the car back up the, the road then towards the, the pub. Uh, and at that stage then, Mr. Murray wound, uh, wound down the uh, passenger's passenger uh, window and fired two shots at uh, a VW Polo, which belonged to his ex-girlfriend's sister. Right, and the car was empty. There was nobody in it at the time. There was nobody in it. There was nobody in it. Well, they they had actually they they'd gone back into the, into the pub at that stage, but uh, you know it was it was put to him in que- in questioning by Gardy that it was you know how did he know that there was no one mm. in the car, given the fact that it was it was late in the evening, and he his his answer to that was because of the fact he could see no light on in the car that it, he was. He assumed that there was no one there, you know, hmm. and he, he he made it he made it he he, he stressed to Gardy during the course of uh, interviews that um, he intended to cause no harm to anyone. That uh, it was it was a, you know a moment of madness. Yes, but how much damage did he do to the car by discharging a shotgun? Well, he, he did a, he did a significant damage. Well, the you know the the um, window was smashed. The back window was smashed. The sun visor was peppered. Um, and the the uh, the a door was 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 also badly damaged. Now the the car since has been has been fixed up and is uh, has been repaired. Uh, Mr. Murray came to court with fifteen hundred euros uh, a compensation to, to to hand over to the mm. to the injured party. Um, and and just curious, once the shots were fired, what did he do then? Drove off then. Well, drove off. Uh, he dropped his three friends off then. He drove off to a bog, uh, a, lo- a, a, uh, a local bog, and it was there. Then he smashed the, he smashed the uh, window of the car and uh, took off uh, the registration plate, which the judge Ken Connolly at the time, when he was passing sentence, uh, intimated that might have been done to look like as if it was a robbery or you know that uh, that the car had been stolen. Uh, but it came out then in in the, the state's evidence that uh, Mr. Murray knew that the game was up, quote unquote, because there was CCTV evidence, and so that the his grandfather uh, retrieved the car the following day from the bog, and the plates were put back on, um, and Gardy then obviously came to the, came to his house the next day, seized the car, arrested himself, and it was at that stage then. Mr. Murray made full admissions from the get-go, really, you know. So, in defending counsel, John Short conceded it was a profoundly dangerous, reckless and frightening thing to do. What was heard in mitigation? Um, in mitigation, well, it was it was put put to the court uh, that Mr. Murray was obviously his, his young age, 21, He'd no pre- no relevant previous convictions. He'd a, he'd a, he'd a um, minor road traffic conviction, um, but nothing that would, would, would trouble the court in relation to uh, it being deemed to be an, uh, something that would be aggravating. Um, and also, his employer um, from a, a pig farm in North Farnham actually gave a very uh, a very conclusive and um, I suppose. A, forthright uh, uh, statement in court and reference to say that he was a uh, very highly regarded I think he, he described him as excellent loyal and um, and, and honest um, 
so that all stood to him as well in terms of uh, sentencing that was that was handed down, um, despite the fact that the judge uh, said that, you know, in other circumstances, um, you know, a, an accused person would be facing quite a, a lengthy custodial sentence. All right. He, he did write um, in letters expressing his regret and in one of those directed to his ex-girlfriend and her family, he said he had always hoped they would get back together and that he had been left mm. hurt and angry when he found out she was seeing somebody else. He wrote, I know this does not excuse my behaviour and the stress it has caused. I'm hoping I can get a second chance to prove how much I have changed and grown since this incident and I will continue to be a better person and work on my flaws in future. Are there, as you mentioned, it's a suspended sentence. Are there conditions attached? There are conditions attached, Will. Um, now, he has to... He, obviously, part of that, part of those conditions, one of which was the, the €1,500, Euro, which, which he, he handed into court uh, that mo- um, before it actually got on the way so that was handed over to 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 the um the the, the owner of the car Rachel Collin um the a forfeiture order of the weapon was also made uh he was also uh he was also ordered not to apply for a, a firearms license for a period of 10 years um and also not to have any uh, any contact whatsoever with the the injured party or her family um and he, there was also a discussion as well, Will, that, that, was, that was aired in relation to whether or not uh, he should disqualify uh, Mr. Murray from driving. Um, now, he, Judge, Judge Connolly said that he, he had uh, contemplated that for quite some time um, over the last uh, day or so, um, but he decided uh, that given the fact that, I suppose, Mr. Murray came from a very rural area in uh, in in the Midlands, decided that uh, this, this juncture he wouldn't do that uh, but he basically warned him you know if he comes before him again in his, in his own words he knows what's going to happen mm. I you know a custodial sentence of, of, of some sort but um, yeah so it was it was an eventful day Will Absolutely um, I think one of the more dramatic cases you've reported to us but uh, Liam grateful for your time thank you for bringing us up to date Thanks Will Liam Cosgrove, a courts reporter who was watching in Longford yesterday and again the accused Jason Murray of Barradrum Street in County Westmeath as the judge indicated quite a rural area if you were to not have access to your car. Now, over recent years many jobs have been lost here in the Midlands with the decline of the peat industry a decline that was very much hastened by a court judgment some years ago. However, there's now what's called the climate economy. Companies that are seeing opportunities in what is the new reality. And you're going to meet some of those in a few moments. And they're being supported by Board Namona to take the next step in their expansion. Details after these. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Keep following the stories at midlands183.com. Midlands 103. Hours to
to protect. Brought to you by Midlands 183, the IBI, and funded by Commissioning the Man with a television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more information. The focus of this week's Hours to Protect is SMEs and startups that are leading the response to climate action. Enterprise Minister Simon Coveney says it's important that we have innovative, climate-focused businesses and entrepreneurs creating new sustainable employment opportunities. He made the comments during a visit to Offaly to launch the Bordnemona's Accelerate Green programme, which supports early-stage enterprises, SMEs and startups that are leading the response to climate action and sustainability. Bordnemona, as a commercial estate company, is the embodiment of what we're trying to do and challenge to do as a country uh, to actually move away from um, technologies and industries of the past that were that were polluting uh, and had a a significant impact on our environment uh, and finding ways through innovation, reskilling, education uh, and, and ambition uh, to uh, to design and carve out new new opportunities uh, for employment uh, for income uh, to make sure that uh, that a part of Ireland like this one uh, that was so reliant on on one source of uh, of employment i.e. Uh, I. peat extraction uh, has a an exciting and vibrant future which the Midlands does have. Uh, and I think it's important to say that if you look at employment levels in in the Midlands, they are very, very strong. You know, if you look at the uh, the, the transition that has taken place in recent years, uh, despite the the difficulties for many people uh, in terms of change in work practice, uh, what Bordnemona has achieved in that period is quite extraordinary in terms of uh, of uh, return for the state. Uh, and to completely transform a company that was based on peat and peat extraction uh, to now being the country's largest uh, uh, renewable energy company uh, and continuing to grow and literally investing billions of euros uh, with a commercial return and without any state aid to do that. Um, That's an extraordinary turnaround, uh, employing 1,500 people and growing. Uh, and of course, um, now looking strategically at how to use a land bank of 80,000 hectares uh, to to further facilitate growth and job creation uh, and industry, but clean industry uh, in this part of Ireland. Eight companies have been chosen to partake in this year's initiative and they will range from renewable energy and sustainable agri-tech to EV charging and food fermentation. Minister Coveney says he was surprised to see one name on the list. Connery uh, Innovation, uh, a marine technology company. Uh, you don't get too many marine technology companies here in the Midlands, <laughs> but here's one. Mike Flynn, Chief Technology Officer with Connery Innovation, has been speaking to Will Faulkner about the work the company is doing. Uh, Connery Innovation, started by Margaret Ray, who's a background in marine science with the Marine Institute and University of Galway. Tell us more about the industry, more about sea lice and what you hope you can do for that problem. Okay, so uh, the industry is salmon aquaculture. Uh, the pest is a sea lice and it attaches itself to the salmon. And inside a salmon pen where all the fish are closer together, they multiply greatly and they have a huge stress effect on the fish. And all methods to date 
have proved ineffective of controlling it. And nowadays, most of those methods are actually damaging the fish in itself. So there's no solution. We believe we have a solution where if we put it in the pen 24-7, that we can control sea lice and enable this industry to grow and maybe restore its reputation as well. So at what stage is your product? We're early stage. We're hoping to go and do sea trials this summer in a test facility in Norway and uh, thereafter prove that and maybe take on more funding and move on to the next stages with maybe customer support. Shane Keneally, uh, Director of Oak Renewables Limited. Oak Renewables is a renewable energy developer focused on the corporate market for high energy users. So we typically build bespoke developments for like data centers, pharmaceutical plants, where we try and match the generation of renewable energy to corporate high-end users. So using what options? Is it solar? Is it wind? Is it yeah, it's all of the above. Battery as well. So we're, gonna, we're focusing on solar at the moment. We've got a small portfolio of solar businesses based around Ireland, and we're looking to scale that up to larger projects. At the moment, it's just solar and some battery. We'll be focused on that technology for now, but wind is also an option for us in the future. And obviously the role of the battery, I'm assuming, is when wind slackens, when the sun goes in, there's still residual capacity there. Yeah, that's exactly it. So we can't predict, not that we can't predict, we can control when the wind is going to blow, when the sun is going to shine, but we can use battery to level out the energy curve of the users. So, for example, you can put on the kettle any time of day and the energy will flow to the house, of course, same with business users on a bigger scale. The battery helps the grid manage the electricity flow from generation to usage. So why would a large energy user approach you rather than just rely on the grid? Yeah, so that's a good question as well. There's a couple of things. So... One big thing happened in the last couple of years with COVID and the war in Ukraine is energy security and energy pricing became a much bigger problem, both for large, well, for everyone, large companies, uh, the state, and ourselves as, as people in Ireland. Large energy users can engage in long-term contracts that will secure their price, guarantee them renewable energy, uh, and stabilize the energy security. And that's effectively business, the business case for them. So you could have the likes of a pharmaceutical plant down in, in uh, Cork, for example. They want to guarantee a fixed price for 10 years of renewable energy. They will receive what's called a guarantees of origin certificates, uh, which, which certifies that it's come from direct from renewable sources. What happens after the 10 years? That lease with the company will expire. They can renew it if they want, but effectively that, uh, the technology will still be with us, the developer, and can be resold. Solar technology is lasting for between 20 and 40 years at the moment, so we'd like the, com- we'd like the company to sign up for a longer lease, but at the moment they, just, they only want to commit to 10 years, so we'd renew it basically with somebody. That energy could be sold into the grid as well after that 10 years if needed. Uh, it'll just be used elsewhere. We are IOAGRI, myself and Shane founded IOAGRI back in 2018. Um, we have a lot of um, experience in the agri sector. We both grew up in farms and we did our trades in, the, in that sector as well. In 2018, we concentrated primarily on ventilation systems, um, really to control um, the emissions that the agri-sector was um, trying to to reduce, I suppose. Um, During that time and from from then to now, we have developed two patents. One is, with patent pending status at the moment, um, one is contaminated air treatment system, and then the other patent is the contaminated waste treatment. My name is Martin Kerr. 
Jenny, General Manager of Universal Graphics. Winterfilm is something that's been around for a long, long time, uh, about 30 years here in Ireland. Uh, Winterfilm, mainly people would think about it of tinted windows on cars, but what we do is we bring it to the next level. It's tinted windows on buildings. So when we say tinted window on building, it's very blasé, very basic, uh, but it's the technical base of those films that make the difference. So if I said to you that we could put a film on the glazing here in this building, you're operating with air conditioning, then we could save you 25 to 30% of the pulling power that was coming through your HVAC system. So, so it's not just an aesthetic reason. No. It will in some way control the temperature in the room more effectively than clear glass. Yeah, it certainly will. Yeah, and it will, a number of boxes will be ticked. We can drop 99% of the UV that's coming through the glazing, so your furniture is not being affected by fading. It gives a comfort factor for the guys that are sitting in the office. If you've got somebody with a skin condition that's sitting two or three feet behind a window, um, he's being shielded now from that UV. Um, glare strain on computers is very, very high these days. You know, people squinting and trying to mm. computer screens. That glare is chopped out by window frame. For more information about the Board Nimona Accelerate Green Programme, see ours to protect.ie and there's a fact sheet on midlands103.com. Ours to Protect, brought to you by Midlands 183, the IBI and funded by Commission the Man with a television licence fee. Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more information. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands David thinks he's smart with all the latest news, but now I keep you up to date with the really important stuff. Anyway, if you were in France at the moment, you would see Paris being brought to a grinding halt. In fact, yesterday, the French government sent armoured vehicles in to protect a wholesale uh, food market because tensions are high with farmers, not just in France. Protests have spread to Belgium. Spanish and Italian farmers are getting in on the act. So too are their colleagues in Germany. And there is a growing campaign to press EU governments to ease environmental rules, to take concrete steps to address rising costs, and also to protect markets from cheaper imports from Brazil and elsewhere. And the Irish Farmers Association here is also going to join a rally in solidarity with their cousins across the European continent. Francie Gorman is president of the IFA. Francie, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Will. Can you expand what the campaign is about and what you hope to achieve given some of the global factors that are driving this, not just Irish factors? Yeah, look, I suppose it, there's a level of frustration at farm level that's been building up over a number of years around over-regulation in how we run our business. And, 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 and that's not to say that we're not fully mindful of the fact that we need to produce our food in a more sustainable way than, than, than we do today, especially if we want to, want to hold on to the markets that we have abroad. We export 90% of our food. But if you even look at the nitrates, derogation and the reduction in stocking rates, that's been done with no discernible improvement in water quality going to come from it. And it's that type of regulation that's driving farmers, uh, you know, to the brink. I was out in Germany, in Berlin for Green Week uh, 10 days ago, and we had an on-the-sides meeting with uh, various farm organizations from around Europe. And it was a common theme from every one of them. It's bubbled over into farm demonstrations in Germany. Initially, that was through um, 
the the cutting of a subsidy that they had under diesel, like we have in our green diesel here. I mean, to be fair, if we lost that here, there would be a, a level of anger among farmers that would be very, very hard to 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 put a lid on. And it's uh, there was a, a demonstration in Watford with an IFA branch uh, the previous night. And I got a number of calls yesterday morning wondering why we weren't doing this at a national level. And look, I said it when I put my name forward for this. I'm not going to lose touch with farmer sentiment on the ground. If I believe that there's a need to do something based on farmer sentiment on the ground, we'll do it. So we met yesterday uh, and uh, met as a national council last night. And we decided we'd do hold this rally in solidarity with her farmer, fellow farmers in Europe, um, around how we've been regulated out of business as, at EU level. And... You know, hopefully uh, tonight will send a good message uh, about farmer frustration and, and we take it from there. Well, farmers in France have a particular mm-hmm. way of expressing their frustrations. The French generally tend to do strikes probably better than anybody else. Uh, for instance, bales of hay were set ablaze at the entrance to Toulouse Airport and it was very difficult to get in and out. What form do you expect the Irish rallies to take? Yeah, well, we've look, made it quite clear uh, the object of this uh, demo, uh, rally is not to, not to disrupt people going about their daily business or their evening business. It's from 7 to 9 tonight. Some counties are doing it in the form of uh, protests on motorway bridges over, o- over the motorways. Um, some counties are doing it in, in, uh, in county towns. It's going to be 7 to 9 after when most people will be home from work. Um, we... we we protest in a slightly different way here in this country, maybe not as as, as radical as they do in France. But we'd always be very mindful of the fact that we do have good support from the general public in what we do as farmers producing our food. Even when we go protesting or demonstrating, we generally uh, tend to bring people on site. So this is not about alienating uh, non-farming people. It's about sending a message, particularly to our European, uh, the, the European Union, and their own Department of Agriculture who have, to, who have to implement regulation here at farm level, that policies are now being designed in a way that will work on a laptop. But if you're sitting in your own tractor or if you're out in your milking parlour milking your cows, it's not working at farm level and that has got to be addressed. One final point. Obviously, the focal point is uh, this evening, but is it clear how long the demonstrations will last? Well, well this evening it's seven to nine. And, and we'll take it from there. We have uh, a commitment got to meet both the Minister for Agriculture and the, and the Taoiseach in the next fortnight. Um, we'll, we'll go in and sit down, meet, meet with them, go through, go through our, our, our main points of concern. We have local and European elections coming up at the end of May, early June. I think it's June the 7th is the date. <clears throat> we'll be putting together our, our manifesto in the next month or six weeks and that will go out to all the candidates it may well lead into a a, a dull election later on in the year so it'll be a work in progress for us but tonight tonight's rally is about uh, showing solidarity with our fellow European farmers and, 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 and giving vent to a level of frustration that's there among our farmers at the moment and how they've been regulated out of business Francie Gorman thank you very much for taking our call he is the new president of the Irish Farmers Association and he is of course from County Leash quarter past 10 excuse me a quarter past 11 nearly it's time to check out the range of suits for graduations weddings and formal wear up to size 64 at Guy Clothing High Street Tullamore the leading clothing destination for every man follow Guy Clothing Tullamore on social media relating to the previous court story concerning how 
a farmer in County Westmeath, a farm labourer, I should say, was in court for discharging a shotgun outside a pub where his ex-girlfriend had been socialising. Hilda points out that very often when there is violence involving relationships, it is the uh, case that eight to nine out of ten attacks happen when the perpetrator is known to the victim. She also wonders in this particular case, why was it not regarded as more serious that he was carrying a firearm in the car? Anyway, the detail of that case, if you missed it earlier, you can find it on midlands103.com. Next, the rights experts shall be here. For instance, if you've been unemployed and you want to take a job offer, but it's in a different part of the country, can you get any financial support to get you off the dole and move to wherever the job may be? Dental work. And what is and is not covered anymore? There have been changes. And if you are an older person who wants to improve your digital skills, if the grandkids are running circles around you on social media, where can you get support? Those are some of the questions to be tackled after these. Whatever the temperature, Flynn Fields are the local people you can depend on to keep you warm delivering throughout the Midlands every day. 1-800-359-667 Average temperature around the Midlands this morning, it's, well, it's a bit on the cold side. It's five degrees at the moment, but it is going to heat up in the afternoon. That's the good news. Let's pick the brain of the rights experts. And if you've not sent your question, still not too late, on 083 30 10 103, text or WhatsApp, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. The expert in studio today is Deborah Dwyer from the Athlone Citizens Information Service. How are you? I am good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And it's February. January's gone. I felt like there was 68 days in January, didn't it? I know. It was just too long. But it's over now and we're into the shortest month of the year. John in Athlone has been unemployed for six months. He has received a job offer in Cork. Congratulations, John. But obviously, Athlone, Cork, he ain't going to commute. He's wondering, is there any financial support if you're moving, if you're not just moving job, but moving location because of the job. Firstly, congratulations to John. Secondly, it's likely he's in receipt of a social welfare payment because he said about being a job seeker. So he's probably got a caseworker assigned to him already in his local Intrio office. And that should be his first port of call. Talk to them as soon as he gets a letter of the job offer. Talk to them around how he's going to relocate, what he needs to do to follow the social welfare process around change of address. And then he could discuss with the caseworker, is there an option to apply for additional needs, which would fund him for that relocation. So he'd have to do some homework on it. How much is he going to need? How much can he contribute towards it? Is he talking just about moving his personal things and an up and down trip to Cork? Mm. Or is he talking about a first month's deposit and rent, etc. So he really will have to build his own narrative around this, work out the figures on it, go and talk to social welfare around it and see with community welfare around the additional needs. Hmm. The and it'll probably depend on his financial circumstances. Well, if he, for instance, got a redundancy six months ago and there's money in the ex- bank. Yes, and this is where the narrative comes into play. What is it that he needs support with? What can he contribute? 
uh, and he'll have to back that up with bank statements or credit union statements. Um, he should also consider looking at our sister company, MAPS, the Money Advice Budgeting Service. They have a really good budget sheet on their te- on their website and that would be a good starting point for him to get a handle on everything that is going to be needed. Uh, so if this is a complete move and he has nothing in the bank, are we talking about bedding, pillows, chairs, pots, pans, right the way up to what he needs to walk in neat as a pin for his first day in the job? So the answer is maybe. <laughs> it uh, There are help. Uh, there there are, is help there available. Are, yeah, there are. But it's up, he's going to have to do a bit of homework on hmm. this as well. And if that wasn't an option... Uh, he could uh, make an approach to the likes of Vincent Paul, who often have some kind of funding available to help people out of a once-off difficult situation. So there are resources, but he has more work to do before he makes an approach for those. Next caller is running a small business and they're really struggling with the tax returns and the accounts and the paperwork and all of that essential stuff. And they're wondering, are there courses they can avail of funded courses they can avail of because being a small business they're not awash with a training budget yeah so for this small business owner I would say look to your local community development company or your local enterprise office they always have excellent resources and training available to support the small and medium enterprise so they'd be the best port of call if they wanted to go in and look at the education and training boards to see what courses they have uh, they should also check in their local community to see. Sometimes you have um, the likes of the community colleges run evening bookkeeping classes, for example. Mm. They don't have to be fully accredited or, or on the qualifications framework. What you're looking to do is get the content covered so that you are competent after the training. So they, they are things that he could do. He could also look to see if there is maybe some software available off the shelf that comes with a training package or a support uh, agreement through the company uh, that would get him set up for a year until he becomes familiar with this and he runs whatever accounts and payroll, etc. needed on a monthly basis, for example. And then, There are probably AI packages. They well, all very easy. This is the latest, yeah. So I suppose th- there will be probably three months of hard work or intense work, shall I say around this until they get everything set up in a routine mm. and templated. Um, the other thing that he could do is check with the Chartered um, Accountants Association, your CAVA. They often do sort of uh, pieces of work uh, to people that they uh, need help with regards to their accounts. So um, I think their website is cava.ie. They're the Chartered Accountants Ireland's Voluntary Advice uh, Service. Okay, so, so another positive answer. Hey, this one is more difficult. Mary, not her real name, by the way. She wishes to stay anonymous. She lives in an area where there's a lot of antisocial behaviour. Her house has been egged a number of times. Youngsters are setting bins on fire. The people in the estate have reported it to the Gorthy. Nothing has changed. Are there other options? There possibly are. But what what I would say first is uh, to this person, it's terrible to have your quality of life impacted like that where Mm. you actually can't enjoy living in your own home. When she says it has been reported to the Garda, what I would suggest is that from here on in, she either gets an email address for the local Garda station 
or she writes each time and she's building up records to show this is an ongoing intimidation and it's pattern of events and it's not just a once-off thing uh, rather than just ringing in because the call is taken and answered and it may or may not be logged. I'm not sure of the particulars of how the guards do it but telephone calls don't always happen so I always mm. say to people put it in writing. If there's a residence association she should write to them and say this is getting out of hand uh, she should report it to the parents of the youngsters and do it in writing and say to them this is getting out of hand and if you don't address it, there will be a report done on it. Try and pull in the community liaison guard officer, uh, maybe into a residence meeting or something like that. And if it's if there's um, social housing in the mix, then report it to the local authority. Because if there are social housing tenants in that estate and they are the cause of it, I'm not saying that they are, but if there's a mix like that... Yeah, you're trying to you find can, all of the responsible all, all, authorities. Exactly. Mm. So, and report it everywhere to create there's an awareness. There is an awareness of an issue here. So what's the... How are we going to come together to do something about solving it? But if it, if it is somebody like that, then the, social, the local authority have an obligation to deal with the antisocial behaviour. And that's under their remit. So they, they are the suggestions I would have for her. But... Paper trail seems to Paper be trail, top of that list. generate the records mm. and repeatedly show that there's an issue. Document everything. Even if she's putting it in a diary every evening, it happens. Uh, that's anecdotal evidence to show that this is happening, this is happening. Uh, avoid confronting them. So don't go out with a camera and or abusive language towards them or anything like that. But if you know who they are, get their parents involved as well. I know there are a lot of listeners who may feel resigned in these situations that nothing will be done, but it's always the squeaky wheel that will be oiled first. So if you're always contacting the guard the station, if you're always keeping that record, sooner or later, it's easier for them to deal with it absolutely, than to ignore it. Absolutely. Jenny's son is eight and he's struggling in school with his writing and spelling particularly and she thinks he needs extra tuition and support, which she can't afford. So she's wondering, are there any grants? Yeah, so I would be saying to Jenny here, the first port call here is to her son's teacher and the school principal. They will be the ones that will be able to refer her into the Department of Education supports and grants, for example, getting a special needs assistance. But maybe there are some language and therapy classes and assessments that need to be done or some pre-steps before you get into making an application for fun some kind of funding or support. The principal may be able to make a referral into the HSE, like I said, for speech and language therapy. Maybe there's a dyslexia there that needs to be identified and diagnosed and then mapped out what to do with it. Or there might be other resources that your child needs. Hey, but the important part is formalising this first. Hey, and doing that through the right channels. So start with the school teacher and principal, express your concerns and ask for them for step-by-step -step guidance on it. Jerry says a planning application has gone in to build a massive house next door to his and he believes it will impede on his privacy. So he's wondering, how do you lodge an objection? So there are planning procedures and protocols that are outlined clearly by each local authority. So if you go into each local authority's website, they will have a section on housing and under that a subsection on planning. And then there's normally little videos or resources online to show you what the whole procedure is from end to end. Mm. You require a planning for a 
permission for any kind of bills like that and you have to fill in an application form etc and uh, you have to put in all of your details typically the person that's applying will have had a pre-assessment with the planners from the local authority to talk through what their intention is get some feedback from the planners who will take into consideration the neighboring environs anyone can make an application uh, objection so they will have to yeah he doesn't necessarily have to live next door yeah so uh, and it's really it's not a uh, next door objection but it might be a submission or an observation so um there uh, you have to make a payment for that it's normally around 20 euro mm. um and you would have to get an answer back to your objection within eight weeks of having put it in there's a probably good templates online for how to lay out an objection. You want it factually based. So if you're making statements around uh, impact on privacy, you would be looking at quality of life, maybe the boundaries, uh, that uh, what aspect of the new house is going to be at and compared to yours. Is it overshadowing windows, etc., like that? So you may need to get some professional support in doing that as well. So check yeah. that out as an option. But Definitely, there's an option to put in an objection or an observation around it. Yeah, if he's got a budget, an engineer, an architect, somebody like that will be far more familiar with the planning rules and where this may fall foul. And uh, like anything else, make sure you have plenty of information, photographs and anything that would demonstrate to somebody just doing a desktop review. Exactly. I just add on that, you know, if, if that doesn't work, there is an option to go up higher again to onboard Planola. So you'd have to go onto their website and look at their protocols. And ultimately to the courts for judicial review. But, well, that's you it, know, yeah. Again, how deep are your pockets? Um, we have lots more questions to get through. And I just want to remind you of the number if you've got a query yourself for Deborah. 083 30 10 103 for text or WhatsApp messages. And still time to get them to me now. Love the Midlands. Love Midlands today. Midlands 103. Deborah Dwyer is here from the Athlone Citizens Information Service. In around 15 minutes, why one in five people eat the exact same breakfast every day for five years. What does the science say? Variety? Is it really the spice of life or is consistency the best policy? Our next question for the rights expert is from Patsy. Patsy is in her 70s, wants to improve her digital skills so she can keep up with her grandkids on social media. Good luck. You might be in for a shock. But are there courses she can do, Deborah? So like the earlier question from the small business owner around getting support, she too could look at a, her local co- a community development company. But there are other resources like your local library. Uh, go there and see what training they have. Maybe there's evening classes in schools, like I mentioned before. She could look at the local volunteer centre to see if they have something. Um, Sometimes active retirement groups host these sort of intergenerational days where you get uh, maybe TY students in uh, and they're learning something from the older generation and uh, vice versa. So um, they're all options for her to check out. If she has any skills for going online, she should just bounce straight onto YouTube. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and to take the chance with it. There's always really good clips around how to get started and, and that. Uh, to do just about anything, actually. Uh, Hilda recently changed her car insurance provider, asked for a statement of no claims. When the letter landed, it was only referring to the years she was with that insurer, not 
the years of no claim she had prior to that. Would that be standard enough? It would be. So she'd have to go back to the insurance provider that she had prior to that, give them her name, address, car details, etc., and ask them for a statement. Yeah, and if you have the full history, then send that on to whomever is giving you the new insurance quote, Hilda. Next caller, again a business owner who, unfortunately, like many others, has had to close up shop recently and they're wondering what supports they can avail of. I presume that's referring to their personal supports if the business is already gone. Uh, I'm not, it doesn't give that clarity. Mm. But what I would say is for a business owner, there's a lot to consider here. There's revenue law, uh, taxes, implications, employment legislation. So I would be suggesting that they get independent legal advice on this matter. There is uh, closing your business on the citizensinformation.ie website that will give an overview of this kind of information. But it is very comprehensive and detailed and there are a lot of liabilities with it. So on that basis, I would be suggesting that they get a independent advice here or else go online to the company's registration office and the Office of Director um, of Corporate Enforcement. They have some resource packs on it. Mm. But again, you need guidance through this. Yeah, you need to do it properly. Tom is caring for a family member who has a chronic illness and he's wondering what supports are available for him. How does he access them? So the Family Carers Ireland and Irish Carers are the two. Their websites are familycarers.ie and irishcarers.ie and they have their full resource pack there. Next is... Okay. Uh, Next is Olivia. Uh, who says she bought an iron that's not working. Uh, She brought it back to the shop. They said they would uh, repair it, Uh, but they haven't. Again, that's that's probably a small claims matter. It could be. There's also the repair, replace, refund uh, option there, but her engagement is with the shop and nobody else. The shop has to go back with the supplier and the manufacturer on it. Uh, So that's what she needs to do there. Again, put her complaint in writing and document the whole lot of it. Yeah. Sale of Goods Supply of Services Act. That's where we must leave it. Thank you very much. Deborah Dwyer from the Athlone Citizens Information Service. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Find out what you missed earlier at midlands103.com. If you're in the camp that says Lionel Messi is the greatest footballer to have ever lived, and obviously Ronaldo and many others, uh, if you go back further in time, there will be those who can claim that title. But let's just assume you're a Messi fan. The napkin on which he signed his first Barcelona contract is up for auction. Yes, it was a napkin and it reads FC Barcelona's sporting director hereby agrees under his responsibility and regardless of any dissenting opinions to sign the player Lionel Messi. And it was in the year 2000 with a starting price of €351,000. So, okay, you're going to have to dip into the bank a bit if you want to buy it. As you know, he would go on to become Barcelona's record goal scorer. He won 10 La Liga titles, four Champions League medals, and, well, his international record speaks for itself with the World Cup being added to the list. And how many Ballon d'Ors? I've absolutely no idea. Anyway. Let's talk about breakfast. 
because one in five people have eaten the exact same breakfast for the last five years. Sinead Hubble is the Chief Executive of the Midlands Today Show. Good morning. Good morning. What do you have for breakfast? I have Weetabix and tea and orange juice every morning. Religiously? Yes. Sounds like a very healthy breakfast. Although isn't Weetabix perhaps deceptively uh, carbohydrate dense? Probably. Mm. But, and yeah. the orange juice will be sugar as well? Yeah, but it's good for you. Vitamin D. Isn't it? <laughs> vitamin C, I thought. Oh, vitamin C. One of them. I don't know my vitamins. But yeah, I would have that Monday to Friday. What about you? What do you have for breakfast? I don't have breakfast. Oh, that's why you're so grumpy in the mornings. No, I have my first meal at lunchtime. It's fad, perhaps, of intermittent fasting. But I've been doing it for a year. Condense all of the meals into an eight-hour period. And I find I'm a bit more alert in the morning. Now, I will have coffee. Coffee may be a cheat, but that's my breakfast. And again, fairly religious on it Mm. for a year. Not for five, mind you. Brida Malini is a nutritional therapist and a positive health coach from County Offaly. Good morning, Brida. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Sinead. What do you have for breakfast? Um, It varies, actually. I wouldn't have the same breakfast every morning. That would be the thing. I would go between eggs. I would also have things like, um, I would have toast, but I'd have, I wouldn't have marmalade on it. I would tend to go more for maybe something like, that would be a bit more protein-based rather than sugar-based. So it would vary. It could be fruit, it could be yogurt, it could be chia pudding. There's lots of variety you can have in the morning. And is there any argument for consistency, for having the same routine again and again? Um, For some, yes, I suppose, that it's just the normal routine. But I think really and truly, if you can vary it up, even some of the days of the week, it would just add variety and a lot more nutrient value to actually what you have first thing in the morning, especially if you're a breakfast eater. Um, some people aren't like yourself. You um, don't have your meal until lunchtime. So that's, you know, the intermittent fasting. But what you break your fast with, and that's what breakfast is, is breaking your fast. So what you break your fast with is important. But there tends to be for breakfast... A lot of sugar. And maybe that's just my experience, you know, between cereals, fruit, and and fair enough, some are natural sugars, some are more refined. Is there a case for something more balanced? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You you should balance your breakfast. with It should be a protein-based breakfast as opposed to a sugar-based breakfast. Things like, you know, you mentioned fruit there, but if you have something like your blueberries, your raspberries, Things like that, that would be the sugar level or the sugar content would be far less than having something like a sweetened cereal or even orange juice. If you squeezed your own oranges, obviously the sugar level would be a completely different sugar as as the body would actually know what to do with it. Breda, there's no way I'm getting up earlier in the morning (laughs) to squeeze my own oranges. Fair enough. That was me trying to be healthy. Yeah, no, but I dare say if you look at the side of the packaging on that yeah. carton. Why ruin it, Will? Just leave me <laughs> my own delusions. Well, again, no, balance it. If you kind of balance it out with something that's a little bit more protein in it. Um, so even if you were having your wheat mix, if you topped it with some um, a protein-rich Greek yogurt, 
Okay. That would just help the balance within the body. And it would create, it would help, it slows down the digestion of sugars. Now, so she said a protein-rich Greek yogurt, because yeah. you just go out and buy any old yogurt. I'm afraid they're, they're more sugar yeah. than protein, even some of the ones yeah. labelled as protein yogurts, particularly yeah. if they have, let's say, a vanilla or a strawberry flavouring oh, in them. Oh, yeah, natural. They're laden, natural. laden with sugar. So, mm. yeah, the natural is the way to go. Sinead is shaking her oh. head here. Once they taste good... <laughs> Yes, it was a natural Greek, particularly the Greek, the real quality Greek yogurt absolutely tastes perfect in on top of wheat mix. Okay, no I'll try problem. that. Glenisk protein yes. yogurt. There you go. Yes. Glenisk protein yogurt, the unflavoured one. It's, yes. and I'm going to be corrected on this, but I think it's two and a half grams of sugar per 110 grams of protein. So that's four to one protein. Mm. And Sinead is looking at How me. How do you remember stuff like that? Because I have an interest in it. Because if you're going to have, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Brida, but if you have a big sugar spike in the morning, then by the time you get in here, Sinead, and we're working together, you become very lethargic and grumpy when your sugar level crashes back down. See, replay that. She said, I'm afraid he's right. This is the first time for everything, Will. No, um, definitely you have the slump. It's the sugar slump because your body craves it and it has to be built back up. It's the highs and lows. Keeping the balance throughout the day is kind of what keeps um, your energy levels that, uh, as the one throughout the day. So you're able to, you won't have the afternoon slump. You won't have the, the mid-morning slump where you have to reach for something, be it caffeine, be it a biscuit, be it a, um, a cereal bar, or whatever the case may be, but you're not actually reaching for that between meals. He doesn't allow me to have um, a morning break, so I, I don't get anything. I don't get a morning break either. You know, what am I to do? Feck off for 15 minutes, chat among yourselves. Go over and get a coffee. I may have done that once or twice during pre-records. Anyway, um, what I'm seeing here, though, that's striking from the survey by Allpro is just how many people don't put thought into the breakfast and they're either on autopilot or it's part of routine where they do it because that's what they're used to doing. Yes. And there is the old expression, Brida, about breakfast being the most important meal of the day. Is that true? Does it deserve more thought than we tend to give it? If you have a breakfast, absolutely. You should give it a little bit extra thought. As I said, it's breaking your fast. That's what it actually does. So what you break your fast with is important. And it kind of sets you up for the rest of the day, regardless of what time that breakfast is. That um, It sets you up then, kind of, it makes you, by choosing quality um, over the routine of high sugar and all of that, you would have, you'd probably end up making better choices throughout the day as regards your food intake. It really sets you up for the day. So, but the routine is, you know, people have children, it's getting them out to school, what will they eat? And it's, it's that, and, it's, you know, it's the, the hurry that people are actually in, getting out the door in the morning. Um, mm. And whatever is handy is what people use, and that becomes the uh, ingrained habit. Oh, I know. I'm going home to slaps because of this conversation, because first thing in the morning, the kids, they want chocolate pillows or whatever is handy. And, yeah. you know... Unless you're in the UN and you're a trained diplomat, what else are you to do? So, 
there's the it's, theory and the practice being very different, I think, for a lot of people. For instance, oh, though, yeah. um, Rose has been in touch, Rose with lots of love hearts on her picture. She <laughs> says, I get up for work at five every morning, start my day with a small glass of warm water and with lemon bowl porridge and two slices of whole grain bread. That sounds nice. She's doing very well. Yeah, she's doing extremely well. She's starting out, she's warming up her digestive system by having the, the warm water and the lemon. She's then, if she's having porridge, um, so long as she's not, you know, depends on what she's putting on top of it, if she's just having it plain, absolutely perfect. And you can't eat, you know, proper mm. wholemeal soda bread, whatever else, because it, it pulls your fibre content. So, I mean, she's so those, those are more complex carbs. They'll take a while to break yes, down. They'll take a while and she'll have more energy for longer. I'm looking at you, Sinead. Why are you smiling at me like that? <laughs> so I have to try out different breakfasts for the next just, week. Just tweak the routine, yeah. see how you feel. I think um, for people, if they kind of want to try and see, kind of change things up, maybe try the weekend when they have a little bit more time. Mm. And even do two days out of the five, and you might find that maybe all of a sudden it's three days out of the out of the seven, you know. And just maybe it might increase naturally. That when you find out actually it's not very difficult to make scrambled eggs. It doesn't take a lot of time. And it's and, a fantastic food. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's one of the most complete foods you'll eat. Um, even things like doing a bit of prep the night before. You have your chia puddings, your overnight oats. All of them things can be done the night before. Again, it's literally just take them out of the fridge. You can do it nearly. You can do five days supply, and you ha- can have them in the fridge. If only and you could you hear what Sinead's face is saying. That's just not <laughs> going to happen. I'm just not a morning person. But I, I'm a, look. I like hacks. So the scrambled egg in the mug in the microwave. Mm. I think that's one of the best hacks ever invented. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And if you have, you know, if you're having your porridge, even if you made it um, the night before and have it in the fridge and warm it up the next morning and add some flax seeds to it and you're adding your omega-3s, you're adding all of that to it the next morning and your berries, you know, you really have a good solid foundation going into the day. And it doesn't take very long if you kind of do a bit of prep the night before. See, I use up all my organisational skills in work, so at home I don't have any. I'll try it. I will try it. Yes, and and report back. Yes. Brida, thanks yes. very much. Not at all. We'll take care. Lovely chatting with you again. Brida Malini is a nutritional therapist and positive health coach from Cantiopoli. You're giving me the death stare again. <laughs> I and am not. I will keep Stop lying. reading. Hi, Will. In Home Savers for Christmas, we got a cookie maker. And it cooks eggs, pancakes and scrambled eggs absolutely perfectly. That's from Kieran in Moat. I like the cookie maker. (laughs) (laughs) How frustrated are you right now? (laughs) Also, a few people recommend blueberries in porridge because you're getting the healthy qualities of the blueberry and the porridge is then enhanced by the flavour and the sweetness, but it's not sugary orange juice. And no, I'm not I'll preaching try. to the conversion. I'm going to try. I'm just preaching. All right, Sinead, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm in trouble. And uh, I'm in trouble when I go home and I'm in trouble here. Anyway, looking forward to seeing you tomorrow if you're in Athlone because the afternoon show...
will be at Easy Living Furniture, making homes great since 1998. And the grand opening event of their all-new store in Monksland takes place tomorrow. And the campaign finishes Bank Holiday Monday, so if you want to see the in-store experts get the best value offers, this is the weekend to visit Easy Living uh, in Athlone, in Monksland, or check them out at easylivingfurniture.ie. We'll chat to you tomorrow morning from nine. Have a great day. Bye-bye.